Well, good morning, my church. How are you? Y'all aren't as lively as the other crowd. Man, I thought y'all would be awake by now. But, uh, hey, it is really a privilege to be with you. It's been a little while since I've been back up here uh, with Jeff being uh, gone from time to time. Uh, and so I always appreciate the opportunity and uh, very thrilled that I can uh, do things like this, like I can do today uh, with my son alongside me. He's not really, uh, I don't look at him in a time like this as my son. I look at him as a peer because uh, I, we're doing the same thing. We're uh, doing what God's called us to do, and to be alongside him is a very special privilege for me and uh, a thrill uh, to be able to do that, you know. So uh, anyway, I'm going to do a, a couple things a little backwards uh, this service than from the first service. And it's because I thought of something new, okay? So you can tell the first service guys next week, we got something better than the first service. So I hope it works because, you know, this is on the fly. Anytime a pastor gets away from his notes, be, be afraid, okay? The, this part is not because it's what we shared at the very end of last service. How many of y'all know Mike Beavis who is doing the 22 days worth of 22 miles walking as far as trying to raise awareness and understanding of 22 vets per day in our country that are committing suicide. Y'all been following him in any way on that? Some of you have. Well, him being a part of our church, his final day, the 22nd day of this, is Monday, June 20th, a week from tomorrow, okay? And so what we're asking a lot of the church to do, if you're available on that Monday, we'd love to join him and walk in that final mile of that day, all right? And so if that's available to you, then uh, we would love for you to join us, join him on that. Again, he's doing 22 miles for 22 days to, again, raise a, a awareness of the 22 vets per day that are taking their own lives in our country and uh, not only try to raise awareness but to do something about it, okay? Now, we don't know where yet or when. We don't know the final detail of where that final mile is going to be, but if you'll keep up with everything my church that's on social media, and next Sunday we should be able to know those things for you. So if you'll kind of reserve some time late on Monday, then uh, that would be a great thing. And I want to come back to that in part of our message today. And that's why I did that first instead of at the end, all right? But in this series of messages called God of the Underdogs, you've heard several people share some already on different individuals in the Scripture and some thoughts on this whole thing of God using an underdog. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a fan of the underdog, okay? Sometimes, regardless of the sport, I'm going to choose for the person who is not expected to win. I just find it fun to do that. I like to see the perennial powerhouses get beat, okay? So for some of y'all, y'all have a problem with that because you cheer for those who might have uh, some that powerhouse mentality. But I, I'm a fan of the underdogs, probably because when I was a young guy, and I'm not going to tell this story, um, some things happened in my world that as I look back on, I've asked God never let me forget, okay, so that I would always be able to cheer on the underdogs, okay? But today we're going to talk about the person and the life of Jacob, okay? And, and before I do anything else too, let me just share some other thing that will make you afraid too when pastors are not only out of their notes, but when they don't set the countdown clock for you. Because there's a countdown clock here that keeps me on track. And so, see, all that time was free. I get to start over right now until they off. <laughs> Bethany made you do that, didn't she? Yeah, he says, okay. Anyway, the countdown clock has begun. So there we go. I, just, I don't want you all to know what you need to be afraid of. We're going to talk about Jacob, okay? If you know anything about Jacob, 
If you have a Bible with you, I want you to open it up with, uh, with me today. I'm going to cover part of his story. Now, it's going to be impossible for me to cover seven chapters in the book of Genesis that really tells the story up to the p- point where we're going to end today. And in fact, um, you know, some of you are going to say to me after the service is over with, well, you forgot about this, you forgot about that, and you forgot about that. Well, it's on purpose because if I told you all seven chapters of the story, uh, by the time I was done, you'd all be gone because it would take way too long. But I want to touch on some things about his story. And again, I'm going to come back to that announcement I gave you here in just a moment because this is very, very important. And this, is, and this is why I am absolutely thrilled that Stephen chose that song, No Longer Slaves, as the final song before I shared this message. And he had no idea what I was going to be sharing today, but, but it, it's so important as we think of the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob's father was Isaac, okay? And so he is in this line where God started with Abraham to, to create a people that would... Uh, um, that would save the world, that he would save the world through, rather, uh, the children of Israel. And so Isaac and Rebekah are the parents of twins. If you remember the other one's name, it's Jacob and what? Esau. Okay, y'all remember the story. Now, in chapter 25, a lot of this scripture is not going to be on the screen until we get to chapter 32, okay? But in chapter 25, we see that Isaac was praying to the Lord on behalf of Rebekah because she was barren. Well, the Lord heard their prayer, and he gave her, uh, she became pregnant. Well, the scriptures tell us that the two of them were jostling with each other in the womb. Now, you moms know all about this, okay? Us guys, we don't have a clue about what that means. I've seen it just as I've watched elbows go across my wife's uh, stomach or inside the stomach and all that of of my children when they were uh, being born. And so, but I've never felt it. But y'all know what I'm talking about. But this obviously was a jostling that really caught her attention, so much so that she had to pray about it. She says, Lord, what is all this about? And this is what the Lord said to her as Jacob and Esau were being knit together in their mother's womb. It says, he said to, them, he said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The older one will become the servant of the younger. Now, as you recall, if you, if you remember in the story, Esau was born first. And so he was the official firstborn, which is very important. We're going to talk about that in a second, in this culture. But the Bible tells us that as Esau was born, then came Jacob, but Jacob had his hand on the heel of Esau. In other words, all this jostling inside of her womb, inside of her stomach, was a picture of what was going to be happening once these two were born. And Jacob was grabbing the heel of his brother because the Bible does not tell us this, okay? So please understand that when I tell you what I think, it's not the Bible, and what I think could be very wrong. But I think they were jostling for for position, and Esau was just stronger, and he won. And Jacob, because I have brothers, I know how it is when you're losing, Okay, I've got a lot of experience losing with my brothers. That even though you know you're about to lose, you're still grasping and holding on to try to do something to snatch the win away from them. You know, that just never hardly worked for me, okay? So I had to just embrace losing, okay? But that's what Jacob is doing. And that's interesting because the name Jacob has a couple of different words for us that tells us what it means. Again, in this culture, a name was very important, (laughs) excuse me, as it described the individual. The, the, The name Jacob can mean grabber. 
Now, I want you to keep this vision in your mind, this, this image in your mind, because we're going to come back to it at the very end. He has this grabber, okay, that's what the name Jacob means, as he's grabbing the heel of Esau. It also means deceiver, okay? It can be translated as trickster even. So Jacob was a deceiver. He was a, a trickster, and, and even a, uh, what, a, a word we don't u- really use in our language anymore was that he was a supplanter. In other words, he was always trying to, uh, to gain a position, usually through scheming, okay, and through strategy. And so that's the kind of person that Jacob was, and we see it coming out of the womb. He's trying to grab the, the, the heel of, uh, of his brother Esau and say, no, I want to be first. And so we see a couple of examples of how this has played out in his life. Because he's a mama's boy, the scripture tells us that he likes to stay inside, he likes to stay in the kitchen, he's with mom. Well, Esau was hairy, furry, burly, he was a man's man, and he was Isaac's kind of son because he was a, a skilled hunter, okay, and he always did those things. And so we see that Isaac... I'm not going to say he had his favorite because the scripture doesn't tell us that, but his favorite son was his oldest who was more like him, and that was Esau. Well, Jacob was a mama's boy. He stayed inside, and he was kind of the weaker one. But listen to this example of how Jacob operated. It said, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew because I'm famished. And Jacob replied, notice the scheming coming out, the grabbing, if you will. He says, all right, I'll give you some of the stew, but first you have to sell me your birthright. This is what Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? In other words, Esau considers his birthright as really useless He says, man, I'm about to die without it. It doesn't matter whether I have it or not. Then Jacob said, though, again, his conniving, trickery, if you will, because the kind of person he was, he said, swear to me first. So he swore on an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate it and drank and then got up and left. And then the Bible tells us, so Esau despised his birthright. Now, I'm just going to give you a side note just because I think it's important. Jacob kind of gets a bad rap right here because he's a trickster, okay? He's a conniving deceiver, if you will, a grabber to try to reposition himself for his own good. And we can look at him and say that he tricked him and he cheated him out of his birthright, which he did. But if you go to Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament, Esau is brought up again in that chapter where it says he was godless, because he sold his birthright for one meal, for one bowl of soup. So even though Jacob uh, tricked him into this, Esau still, uh, he had uh, his uh, opportunity, and he just gave it away. Now, what is a birthright? When he says, sell me your birthright, a birthright is several things, and I have things written down here for you. It's a superior inheritance to the others because you're the firstborn. Again, very important in this culture that the firstborn had the superior inheritance. Sometimes it was called a double portion, if you will. Also, the birthright meant that they would inherit the judicial authority of their father, whatever that meant, okay? It also meant that they would inherit special privileges and positions of honor and advantage as the firstborn son, and that they would assume the leadership of the family. And if they were part of royalty, that means that they would be the one that would take the throne. And this is what Esau gave up to Jacob 
for a bowl of soup. So Jacob now has the birthright. He has now got the birthright from his older son. He's tricked him out of it. He's a conniving, grabbing deceiver, if you will, and he now has the birthright. Well, there's something else that happens in this story. In chapter 27, the Bible tells us that Isaac was starting to get old. The father's starting to get old, and he cannot see anymore. But he realizes that he's about to die. And so what he does is he calls Esau in, his favorite son, and says, you know what, hey, look, I'm about to die. But I want one more good meal from you. Because I know you'll go out and you'll hunt, and you'll kill my favorite game, and you know how to prepare it, you know how to fix it, and you're going to bring me really one of my last meals. And so go do it. And I'll give you my blessing when you do. Well, the Bible tells us in chapter 27 and verse 5, it says, Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Now remember, Jacob was a what? Mama's boy. Rebekah favored Jacob. So when she heard all of this, she gets in on the action as well. And she goes to her son Jacob and said, Listen, here's what's about to happen. Your brother is about to get his blessing from your father, but I want you to have it. I want you to have the blessing." And so here's what you're going to do. I am going to fix all this food just like Esau would do, just like Isaac wants it. Isaac will know it came from Esau. And you're going to go in there and give it to him. You're going to present it to him. And then he's going to give you the blessing that is meant for Esau. Now, again, I grew up with brothers. And so when something wasn't going quite right and the plan didn't sound good, we had to kind of make sure we we're all on the same page together and say, wait a minute, I think you've missed something, Mom. I'm not Esau. I don't talk like Esau. I don't look or feel like Esau. I'm fair-skinned, and I don't have any hair on my arms, and he's hairy and all that. She said, and she basically looked at him and said, if there's any curse that comes from this, it'll fall on me, but I'll take care of it. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. So she dresses him up. She puts fur all on his hands, and she gives him all the, the kind of clothes that Esau uh, wore so that he would smell like Esau and feel like Esau, and the food was going to be just like Esau brought it. Well, Jacob goes in and says, hey, I'm your son, and he lies. Esau, here's what you requested. Isaac was pretty skeptical at this point, and here's, here's why I believe he was skeptical. He's like, how'd you do that so quick? You just left, and how'd you get it? Jacob's got to play the part. He says, hey, the Lord's blessed me. The Lord's given me favor. Bam, it happened that fast, and here we are, so here's your meal. And he goes, you sound like Jacob, because he couldn't see, but he could still hear, okay? He goes, I'm your son Esau. And he says, well, okay, well, whatever then. And so as he gets over there to him, and he touches him, he goes, well, wow, you do have the hands of Esau, so you must still be Esau. I still don't think he was convinced because he asked him later, are you really my son Esau? I am, he replied. And then Esau says, excuse me, uh, Isaac says this to him. He says, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. So Jacob brought it to him and he ate. He brought wine and he drank. And then his father, one last time, had to confirm this because he was still a little confused. He said, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him, and this is what he said. This was his blessing meant for his son Esau, given to his son now Jacob. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. 
May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So he gives him his blessing and it says, After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. Whew. Just got out of there in the nick of time. So, a second example of the kind of person Jacob was. He comes out of the womb holding on to the heel of his brother because they were jostling inside the womb and he still wasn't satisfied. He still wanted to be in front of his brother. Well, he first of all cheats his brother out of his birthright, okay, which was all the things due to the firstborn son of that time. Now he cheats him out of his blessing. Now, a blessing could be given to anyone. The birthright was just the birthright, but the blessing could be given to anyone. But again, in this culture, the biggest blessing, the best blessing was still given to the firstborn, okay? Jacob could have been blessed in some way, but he would have never been blessed like this. Anyone could have received it. But Isaac and Esau realized that they had been tricked because Esau comes right in and says, okay, here's your food, Dad. Here I am. And Isaac's like, well, who is that that just left? Esau says, well, I don't know because I'm here now. And they realized what had happened. And Esau was so angry that he wanted to kill his brother. Anybody ever wanted to kill your brother? Don't raise your hand. I wonder how many times my two brothers wanted to kill me. Anyway, verse 41 of chapter 27 says this, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He's already lost his birthright. Now he's lost his blessing. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Then I'll kill him. In other words, I'm going to honor my father right now in his dying days. And I'm going to mourn for him. But when that's over with, I'm going to go get my brother. And I'm going to kill him. That sorry trickster. That deceiver. That grabber, he's taking everything from me. He tried to beat me out of the womb, and he tried to pull me back in so he could get out first. Oh, you know, he didn't know that. But those are the things he thought. And it's interesting that his mom, Rebecca, this is really the last we hear of Rebecca in the Scripture. She says this to her son Jacob when she tells him, you got to go. you got to go see my brother Laban, okay? Go see Uncle Laban, go stay with him. Because this is what she said. When your brother is no longer angry with you... Excuse me, and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there because why should I lose both of you in one day? Guess what never happened? Esau never forgot. So, what her dream was was that Esau would forget and then you can come home. Never happened. Now, there's a whole lot more story in between here that I'm going to skip, okay? Because even within the rest of that story, we see more deceiving. Because even when, um, and, and some of the deceiving came back on old Jacob, you know. You know, Laban basically said, yeah, you can have my daughter Rachel for, if you work for me for seven years. So Jacob's like, okay, I want Rachel. Well, when seven years were up, guess what? He switched them on their wedding day and their wedding night, and he marries Leah instead. And he's like, wait a minute, what'd you do to me? And some folks would be like, hi, he had it coming to him because that's the kind of guy he was. Well, Laban kind of tricked him a little bit more and said, well, yeah, I'll still give you Rachel, but you've got to work seven more years. So here's Jacob having to work 14 years to have the bride that he wanted. Well, anyway, there's, there, there's a whole lot more in the story that we just don't have time for. A, a, a period of time where as he left before he got to Laban, he had a dream. 
And in that dream, God spoke to him and showed him and told him all that he would give him. And, and, and Jacob was blown away going, wow, I didn't know God was in this place. And so that's pretty neat. Well, as all this happened, and even as he and Laban parted ways, and, and they had disagreements on the deception there, guess what finally happened? Esau had not forgotten. And Esau was now pursuing his brother with 400 men. And Jacob was told about it. And Jacob's like, oh, man, I'm done. So what does he do? Well, what does his name mean? His name means deceiver, a supplanter. How can I scheme and how can I strategize my way out of this and figure it out? Well, Jacob starts being Jacob, and he begins to try to do this. And so what, here's what happens. It says, Jacob sent two messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau. And notice the language he uses here. Remember, he's, trick, he, he's, got, he's, he's a deceiver. He's a trickster. As he sent his messengers to his brother Esau in the land of Sire, he instructed them, this is what you're to say to my master Esau. So right away, he's trying to butter up Esau. You're my master, man. So he's trying to butter him up. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maidservants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord. He, now he calls him Lord, that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. In other words, this has not stopped him. He's not stopping. He's still on his way. And then it says, in great fear and distress... Jacob divided his people up. Now, here's what Jacob did. It sounds noble at the beginning, but again, he's a deceiver. He's a trickster. He's a grabber. He divides all of his people, all of his possessions, all of his, his herds and all of his flocks into two different people. And, <coughs> excuse me. I'm sorry about that. As he sends them on, he's going to send them on as an offering to Esau. And he separates them. He says, I want y'all to stay separated. That way, in Esau's anger, if he decides to kill all of these, maybe he'll spare all of these, and there'll be some space in between them, okay? So he does this. He sends them on his way, and, uh, and as he does, Jacob begins to pray. And as Jacob prays, he reminds the Lord of all the things that the Lord promised him in that dream before. And so as he does, he comes out of this, and he instructs all of his people to go. Now, this could be a really great movie. Uh, I don't know how to direct it, but all of a sudden now all these people are going forward. And it, it says in the, in, in the story that he instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say they belong to your servant. So now he's called his brother master and lord, and he's referring to himself as servant. Okay, They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he's coming behind us. In other words, this is a gift to you, Esau, but Jacob's coming. So he's saying all that. He's trying to protect his people, okay? He's trying to keep them safe from all that Esau might do. And then he instructed the second group of people to do the very same thing and to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. And this is what he said, for he thought if I pacify him with these gifts, then later maybe he'll spare me. It was still all about Jacob. It was still all about him. It wasn't really about dividing up his people and all of his belongings. He was, think, he was thinking that if all of this will pacify him, maybe I will be okay as well. Well, as he does that, here's where we come to the real meat of this and the crux of the matter. It says, beginning in Genesis chapter two, 32, 
verse 22. Notice these verses will start to be up on the screen. It says that that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Now let's stop right there because here's what's important. I think names, uh, names in the Scripture are always important. This river that they're crossing is called the Jabbok, okay? And again, the meaning of this is very, very important because the term Jabbok means to pour out or to empty yourself, so to speak. And so it's a picture of total surrender. So here is what Jacob is finally coming to. He's finally realizing, I've connived, I've tricked, I've deceived, I've grabbed all my life, but I have nothing left to grab. I have nothing left to deceive. I've tried all I've had, and Esau is still coming. And so as, as the picture shows us in verse 22, he even finally, after he sent those other groups, now he's emptied himself of his wives, their maidservants, and his 11 sons, and now he has emptied himself of all things. That's important. It's very important to us because we're going to see what God's going to do in the life of Jacob. Verse 23 on the screen. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. And it's just him. So Jacob was left, what does the Bible say? Alone. Jacob was finally alone. He had nothing else to count on. He had nothing else up his sleeves, nothing else to grab a hold of, nothing else to trick anybody or deceive anybody with. He was left alone, and the Bible says that a man wrestled him till daybreak. Wrestled him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched or dislocated, as he wrestled with the man, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here's what this story is all about. This is a picture, this man is a picture of the incarnate Christ. It is God himself. And this man is wrestling with Jacob. Now don't get caught up in this because it can be a little disturbing and a little weird when it says, well, if he was God, why couldn't he overpower Jacob? Man, God could overpower anybody anytime he wants to. It doesn't matter. And so God, God is not at a lack of strength or does, he doesn't possess an inability to do this. What he's trying to wrestle in Jacob is he's trying to wrestle something out of Jacob. And he could not get it out of Jacob because Jacob was still wrestling out of his own strength. He was wrestling out of the only thing he knew, and that was to grab, to deceive, to trick, to be a supplanter. And God was trying to wrestle that out of him, and Jacob was still not giving it all up. And so what does God do? God, bam, hits him in his hip in a way where it dislocates him, where he is now incapacitated. And Jacob has finally and ultimately come to the end of himself. Yes, he was afraid. Yes, he was scared. Yes, he was trying. Yes, he was giving everything up. Yes, he had emptied himself at the Jabbok of all these things. But now he finally gave up himself, and he couldn't walk. He couldn't stand. And what's the Bible say? It said he was holding on to him. He was still holding on to him. He came into this world coming out of his mother's womb, holding on to his brother. But now it was different. Now he's holding on to God because he has nothing else left. I mean, he's saying, i got to hold on to you. I can't even walk. 
I don't have any tricks left up my sleeve. I don't have anything left I can do. And, I, and, and now I can't even walk. I have to hold on to you. And that's what God finally wanted to wrestle out of him. Because notice what happens. And this is where we find it. It says um, in verse 27, it says, The man asked him, What is your name? And what did Jacob tell him? Jacob. He confessed who he was before the Lord. God had finally wrestled it out of him. He'd finally got him to the place where he had nothing left to give. He had nothing left to stand on. He had nothing left that he could hold on to except for God himself. And he was holding on to God going, you know, I don't have anything else to hold on to. I have to hold on to you now. And so God asked him, what is your name? He said, my name is Deceiver. My name is Trickster. My name is Grabber. My name is Jacob. That's who I am. And he confessed it to the Lord. This next piece is huge because then it says in verse 28, the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. That term Israel, he says, no, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. I'm giving you a new name. Your name is Israel. Your name is going to be prince with God. Your name is going to be synonymous with the power of God. Your name is going to be synonymous with he who prevails with God. Your name is going to be may God prevail. Your name is now Israel. You are no longer Jacob. You are no longer these things. You are no longer having to strive. You are no longer having to deceive. You will no longer have to cheat your way or trick somebody into this. Your battles now will be won because I will battle for you. You will not have to battle yourself. I will do this for you. you. Your past no longer defines you. Your new label is Israel. That is your new name. Now let me ask you a question right now. What labels have you carried as you have come into this room today from your past? What's your name? What do other people call you? What do you call yourself? You see, I don't know how much like Jacob you might be, but I think there's a part of Jacob in all of us, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it's, it's been in me. Because I can strive with the best of them in my own ability. I can go grab and I can try to manipulate situations. I can try to speak in a way where I can gain the upper hand. I understand all about deceiving and trickery, okay? Because I'm woefully human. And I think you and I might have the same kind of thought on this because that's who we are. So let me ask you another question. Again, the same question. What is your name? We know how to do these things. Are you labeled by something like this? Well, I'm an adulterer. I'm a divorcee. I'm a liar. This is what labels me. This is what, I've been li- this is what I have lived as because everybody, when they look at me, they see this. God is simply saying to you, if you will empty yourself of all of your striving and grabbing and deceiving and trying to manipulate your situation and you just hold on to me, I'll change your name. I'll give you the name child of God. That's why I love the song that Stephen had us sing there with the team. You are no longer going to be labeled anything else but a child of God. That's what he wants to label you as. He wants to give you all the rights of being his son, all the rights of being the son of the king. I told this story in the first service. You know, a couple years ago, uh, I drive a car that's really red, okay? It's very red. 
It kind of glows red. Well, my son had it out one night, and he had some people come up to him and said, well, <laughs> wow, I love your car. Who, whose is it? And he's telling me this story. He says, well, it's my dad's. And I looked at my son. I said, why'd you tell him that? <laughs> he was confused. He says, because it's yours. I'm like, man, why didn't you tell him it was yours? Again, he was confused. He said, well, it's not mine. I said, man, you're the child of the king. Whatever belongs to the king belongs to the child of the king. Tell him it's your car. That's the only time I could pretend to be a king. So then he looked at me and says, well, can I have it again tomorrow night? I went, no, no. <laughs> you are a child of God if you will come to the end of yourself, the end of all of your striving, then the end of all those things, and he will make you a child of his. He will change your name. I don't care what label you carry yourself as, he'll change it. I don't care what your family thinks about you. God will change your name. I don't care what the society in which you live in. I don't care what's on your record. I don't care what's known by others or what's not known or what you carry in your own heart. God will change it if you'll allow him to. It's really that simple. If you'll come to the end of yourself, God wrestled with Jacob all along, not just that night, but that night when he, when he still couldn't get it out of Jacob, he says, okay, Jacob, here we go. Bam, there's your hip. Now you have absolutely nothing. You're a sitting duck. And that's when Jacob finally says, okay, uncle, all right, God, I'll do anything. And God says, all right, I got you where I want you now. Your name's Israel. You want to know how God will change your circumstances in your past? Let me give you three thoughts real quick. These three thoughts, and I'm not going to tarry long on each one of them. How will God change your past? Number one, when your religion gives way to a relationship, that's when God will begin to change your past. You see, bargaining with God never works. If you think church attendance works, if you think giving money works, if you think doing all these good things works, those are things that God wants us to do. The Bible speaks to us on all these things, but those are not how we get a relationship with God. Jesus in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount said, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then he says, Many will say unto me that day, Didn't we do these things? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? And didn't we perform many miracles? The three big religious things of their day. And Jesus said, I'll look at them on that day. Depart from me. I never knew you. You're not one of mine. In other words, I never had a relationship with you. You played religion. I don't know what our religious bargaining is with God today, but some of it has to do with church attendance. I've been in church every week this year. Uh, you know, I've given a certain amount of money. I went on this mission trip, or I did some. I prayed with my pastor or something like this. We're not talking about religious activity. God will take your past and reshape everything when your religion gives way to a relationship with him. That's what he wants of you. The second thing is this. God will change your past when your striving gives way to surrender. Coming out of the womb, Jacob was striving before he even knew what he was doing. Striving to advance. Striving to be somebody. Striving to have everything go his way. But God will change your past when you give up striving and say, you know what? God, I've tried it all my life and I've run to this point where now I'm a sitting duck for my brother. If you don't help me now, God, nobody will and nothing will happen. That's what God wants from you. He wants to give up your striving and bring you to a place of surrender. And then the final thing is this, God will change your past when your lip service gives way to true worship. When our lip service gives way to true worship. This is how the story ends. Verse 28, the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Verse 29, Jacob said, please tell me your name. 
You ever notice that God never plays fair? God plays by his rules. You know, he's God. And so he's always right. He says, why do you ask me my name? In other words, it's not relevant. Don't even worry about my name right now. Then he blessed him there, saying it is because, uh, and Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. That name Peniel means the place of an open heaven. I saw the face of God, and I was spared. You know, God wants you to stop all of your striving today. One of my favorite verses, favorite books in the Bible is Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Striving to get accepted by God is slavery. And so many people today have experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God and they have their sin forgiven, but they always go back and try to say, well, i, I got to go do all these things. Paul said, why would you do that? Because what Jesus did for you was for freedom, but to go back in that way is slavery. It is slavery. Get rid of those labels, get rid of those things, and trust God for all that. Now, let me mention one other thing to you today. I told you, I, I gave you that announcement up front about Mike Be- uh, Beavis and the walking for our vets. Here's one of the things I've discovered. Some of y'all know some of the things I do and, that I, and, and things I work on in this ministry called Just One Person. In my workplace ministry, I have unfortunately come in contact with many, many suicides, many more than I care to even think about and tell you about, and many more attempts at it that were never completed, but people are losing hope everywhere. And here's what I'm discovering. And, you know, even for our vets, and this is why this is a serious thing, Okay? Unlike our Vietnam era, our, vet, our people coming back, our men and women coming back from overseas right now, they are being celebrated, are they not? We celebrate what they do. I'm discovering something, that as we celebrate them, they're not celebrating because they did things over there that they don't feel like they can be forgiven for. And when they're celebrated in that way, They don't know how to process that because they were called on to do some things that nobody wants to do. Back in the mid-90s, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with a World War II veteran at that time. I don't know what's happened with him because that's been a long time ago and I've since left him. And he refused to trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sin. Do you know why? He looked at me on multiple occasions and he said, There's not a God around that will forgive me for what I've done. He was convinced. I pled with this man. I tried to share the truth with this man. I tried to have him understand the grace of God and the forgiving power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and he refused. And I said to him, I said, why don't you tell me some of the things you did over there in the war? And he refused to tell me. He says, I'm not going to share that with anybody. He so labeled himself to a place where, as far as I know, when I left him, he had not trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sin because he was convinced he was unforgivable. Our men and women are coming back, and they've labeled themselves Just like some of you have labeled yourselves today, 
And they're saying, I can't be forgiven. And then they're more confused when they're celebrated. Our heart is to celebrate their service. Their heart is, do you know what I've done? So many of them are at that point. And they lose hope. I don't know what your label is today. And as, as, as it was shared with me between services from the first service, you might have multiple labels, okay? I know what that's about. Okay, I know what it's like to label myself and live under the oppression of that. But it's as simple as this. God wants to look at you today and say this. What's your name? He wants to hear you tell him. I told the first service that I was going to have everybody text me. Now, of course, that was going to blow up my phone, but um, here's why I decided not to do that. Not because of that, because I wanted to go through and see what everybody labeled themselves as. Even if I didn't have your name, I wanted to see what you were going to say about yourself if you were going to be honest. But you know what? You don't need to text me. When Jacob did business with God, he was by himself. You don't have to stand up today and say, I'm labeled as such and such. You don't have to text me. You simply need to go to God and say, God, I don't know anything else to do right now except to grab a hold of you and tell you my name. And God will give you a new name. In the power of grace, wonderful. In the power of the shed blood, one of the greatest, it is the greatest thing you could ever be told. There's no other religion on earth that brings you to God except through your own striving. There's no other out there besides Jesus where he says, I've done your striving for you. If you'll believe and trust me for it, and you hold on to me and quit grabbing after all these other things, you'll find the forgiveness, the peace, the joy that has been meant for you all this time, and you'll no longer be a slave to any other label. You'll be a child of God. A child of God. Let's pray. As you go before the Lord in prayer right now, I just ask you to, to quiet yourself as I, as I speak just a few last words. I ask you just to spend this moment, just you and God, if that means your eyes are closed or your head is bowed or both, whatever, I don't know what. But if you have never said to him, I want to make you the leader and forgiver of my life. I want you to forgive my sins today. I want to ultimately know that today my sins are forgiven because of your blood that was shed for me. And I want to tell you who I am, God. My name is whatever you label yourself as. And God, today I want you to save me and give me a new name. Let me tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, it is that simple to begin a relationship with the God of all creation through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you'll... Confess to him what your name is. Confess who you've been known to be. Confess what others know you to be. And say, okay, God, I, I need a new name. I need you to change me. I need you to heal me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. He will. That's the truth of the Bible, summed up very quickly. If you've never done that today, I urge you, just like I did that man back in the 90s, I urge you today, let God do what he wants to do, and that is give you a brand new name, give you a hope for today and a hope for all eternity found in him alone. And if you'll do it, he'll meet you just like he did Jacob that day.
For those of you who've already experienced that, you know you're a child of the king. But you still live in that defeat because Satan's able to get you to go back to your past. Quit allowing him to have the victory that doesn't belong to him. Live in the victory that God's given you. Even though you feel and know that you're still a sinner on this earth, God's already changed that for you. God's already covered your sin with the blood. You can live victoriously today and you can help others. And I urge you, dear church, those that you come in contact with this week, as they carry these labels, whether they're a veteran and they've done things that they don't think they can be forgiven for, or whether your coworker or your family, you let them know you're no longer labeled as this. You could be a child of the King. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the great promise of the Scripture that you'll save any, any that call out to you by name. That your forgiveness of sin is offered to all people for all things if we'll simply come to you in faith believing that you'll forgive us if we confess that to you. Lord, I pray that all across this room, labels are lifted. I pray that all across this room, the past, Father, is, is labeled as such and then left right there, the past, no longer to be used against us, but that we will simply hold on to you, grab a hold of you and your truth, and we'll quit grabbing for all the other things just like Jacob did. And then you'll use us, Lord. I believe you'll use us. I believe you'll use every man and woman in this room. I trust you for that, Lord. I thank you for it. I thank you for the person, the story of Jacob that's helped us understand this today, and I wish I had more time to help us understand it better. But, Lord, we're out of time for today. But, Lord, I think your word has gone forth, and that is we need to quit grabbing other things, striving for other ways, and grab a hold of you and find our salvation in you. I pray you'll bless your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.